Can you uh, imagine a young mom with a baby in arms uh, trying to make her way through the, the courts of the temple? And I've described the temple to you in, in Jerusalem a little, a little while ago. And as uh, she with her husband bring their relatively newborn child to the temple courts for his circumcision, I don't know if it's before or after, but there's this strange man who appears, and uh, he takes the baby. Now, probably there are crowds all around, and I don't know, do you want to give your baby over to some guy, and um, especially if the baby has just been circumcised? Uh, we had a, a small group years ago, and we had a lady who didn't know the rite of circumcision, and I remember we read something, and she just said, Verschlissen? Verschlissen? She was aghast. But this young mother, Mary, uh, gave her little child, her little boy, over to this man. His name was Simeon. And he simply held the child and gazed up into heaven. And he gave us the fourth canticle that we're having a look at as we listen to songs around the story of Christmas. And here are the words of what we now call the Nunc Dimittis, which is a very strange song for us to be thinking about on Christmas Sunday morning um, because it's about his dying, about Simeon's impending death. Here's what he says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people, he is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Nunc dimittis. Uh, he doesn't actually use the word die. Um, he uses the verb dismiss, or to excuse. He says, Sovereign Lord, excuse your servant now in peace, or dismiss your servant now in peace. Nunc it's part of the litany of um, worship in the Book of Common Prayer for evening prayers, and you may remember it from uh, your childhood and years in, in that tradition. It, it's very interesting what Simeon prays. Uh, he's described as a holy person. He's not a priest. He's, he's not a religious person because of his, his role or position. He's simply a devout man. He's somebody who believes. And he comes to the end of his life, as we hear him expect that now, and he, he expects that he will leave this earth in peace. I, I don't know if you think a lot about dying, but imagine being able at the end of your days to say, I'm good. I'm ready to go. Let me now depart in peace. What he says in, in this little prayer is, is very, very instructive. Uh, after this, he talks to Mary, and we'll refer to that in just a moment. But before he talks to Mary about who this child is, he says, Sovereign Lord, now you are dismissing your servant in peace. There are lots of names for, for God in the Bible. We, we talk about that fairly often. But 
the way that uh, Simeon addresses God or the name that he gives God is very, very unique and very strange. It gives us the English word despot. So imagine this holy person praying to God and calling him a despot. He says, despot, now you can release your servant in peace. Well, the term that has taken a sad turn south was not one that meant um, a malicious kind of a dictator, but it simply was often used of the master of the house. And so we'll think of it that way, that Simeon is speaking to God and says, master of the house, you are now dismissing your servant in peace. He's acknowledging the God who is absolutely in control. And, and there's that despot notion that at least helps us a little, that Simeon knows God to be absolutely sovereign. He has lived his whole life, he's lived his whole life expecting something. And in fact, God has promised him something. God has promised him that he will not die before he sees the Messiah. And so now as he takes from this young girl, this baby, and holds this baby in his arms, he says, I've seen what you've promised to me. My, my, my whole life I've been waiting for this, that the Messiah has come. And master of the house, you who are in control of everything that ever happens, you can now also release me in peace because you have given me the fulfillment of your promise. I've seen your salvation. And then here's how he characterizes that. He says that the salvation that he has seen, God has prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he's the glory of your people Israel. In the story of Christmas, two faith traditions converge, really, the tradition of Judaism and the new tradition of Christianity. We call ourselves people of a Judeo-Christian heritage. We are very much brothers and sisters in a great hope that a Messiah will come to bring peace. Mary has talked to us about peace. Dean has prayed about peace. And we long for peace. Uh, year by year, we think maybe this is the year when there will be better negotiation, when there will be a cessation of war, um, when hatred will stop, and every good person who is asked, what do you promise or what do you wish for the world? Well, I wish for world peace. But honestly, we do. We're, we're, we're tired, so tired and weary of the turmoil, of the the tumult that is all around us and is in us. And so Simeon says, well, I've been expecting something and what, what I've been expecting is here. And what is here has come to bring absolute peace provided by the sovereign God, the master of the house, into whose hands I commend my spirit as I've commended my life, he would say, for uh, all of the years of his following God. We're going to um, have an interesting study together in the new year. We're going to look at the Shema Israel, which is 
the the Jewish prayer of Deuteronomy where um, the Jewish people were taught to say Shema Israel um, hear O Israel the Lord is one and, and so on and we join in that prayer in the tradition of our Judeo-Christian faith we join in that prayer and we agree that a Messiah has come we join in that prayer in knowing that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength and our neighbor as ourselves and there is a caricature of peace if there ever was one we join together with the tradition of Judaism we join our Christian faith and we understand that the one who has come in fact is the light to reveal God we saw a few weeks ago in John chapter 1 that John the Baptist um, talks about who the one is who is coming. And then John, the apostle, explains the whole thing. And one of the things he says about Jesus is that he is the Logos. He is the one who enlightens every person coming into the world. Every person coming into the world is enlightened we're going to talk in a few moments about our spirits again, we have for the last few weeks. And in our spirits, something is innate that is called the enlightenment. The enlightenment of God in our spirit that convinces us about who he is and about his love for us. And Jesus is the one who notably and uniquely uh, brought his light into the world. And so we, we join in, in this tradition, we, we join our stories and we say this one who has come is the light to reveal God to the nations and he's the glory of your people Israel. There's another person in this story, she kind of fades into the background, her name is Anna and she's a widow lady. Uh, she was married only for a short time, seven years and since then uh, presumably for the last 60 years or so, she has been fasting and praying in the temple. Um, she spends her life praying. She prays for the deliverance of Jerusalem. She prays for the hope of the Messiah. And she joins the lovely story of the Nativity uh, by kind of coming alongside. I don't know if she knew Simeon or or how the drama all fit together. But into this lovely story is this woman as well, who rejoices, she sings praises about the Messiah who has come and who is coming. Several years ago, um, a, a carol was written, and it has become, for many, many people, their favorite carol, even though it's relatively new, was written by Mark Lowry, of the um, Gaither vocal band group Notoriety. It's called Mary Did You Know? And we're gonna just have the chance here to, to remember that song, listen to it, and uh, think about Simeon, and think about his unique opportunity to hold the Messiah of God in his arms. And maybe in, in his heart he was asking Mary, or he even might have said to Mary, did you know? Because he goes on and he says, this child, this child will bring trouble and relief all at once. And also, there will be, there'll be something that 
is thrust into your soul. There will be pain that comes to you. Mary, did you know when you brought this eight-year-old baby boy to be circumcised and named, did you know yet who he was, what he would do? And far more than that, did you know the all-encompassing work of God, the Lord of the household, the sovereign God? Um, Mary, did you know? your little baby you kissed the face of God isn't that a profound understanding that God who was not in human flesh became a person through and through and he stayed a person he is now in heaven again as a person a part of the great fellowship the eternal dance of the Trinity 
I think Simeon is for us an example of uh, how, you, how you live a life that ends in peace, in uh, full apprehension of peace. We've talked about the, the, the notion that the human person has three parts, uh, body, soul, and spirit. And we've heard that the Bible agrees with that. It, it talks about us, and Paul prays that we should be sanctified wholly in body, soul, and spirit. And as we try to parse out what belongs in what part of the human person, I, I, I think there's merit um, to what I've brought to you from Watchman Nee, where he says that in, in, the, in the spirit of the person resides conscience and intuition and communion, and in the soul of the person resides the will, the intellect, and the emotions. So let me bring that back to mind this morning as we just ask ourselves about peace and ask ourselves if we would be able to describe ourselves as people of peace, people who have fully grasped peace. Uh, Mary talked about us having peace with God and then talked about our need to have peace down here. There's another preposition we might use that's in the Bible. It's called the peace of God. And the peace of God is not just peace with God. It starts as peace with God. But it's the peace of God. It's, it's the lovely biblical notion of shalom and of peace in the New Testament. The, the whole settled, restful commitment um, of faith. And I think as we look at, at Simeon, we might say that there are some things that just really obviously contributed to his being able to say, nunc dimittis. Now you're letting me go. Now you are releasing me in peace. Um, I, I think if we were to try to make it a formula of some kind, we might say that peace um, is the result of patience plus faith. And I think that in this particular time of human history, in our own lives and communities, um, we're being tried on the matter of patience. We're having to wait. And Simeon is a person who has waited his whole life. I don't know when it is that God gave him the revelation that he would see the Messiah. But having received that revelation from God, he held on to it. Day by day by day, he held on to the promise of God that the Messiah would come and he would see the Messiah before he would leave this life. He practiced patience. We need to practice patience. I, I think patience shows up as a need for us in many, many ways. We have to be patient with people. We have to be patient with situations. We have to be patient with uh, the passage of time, we have to just wait, and we have to wait, and then we have to wait some more. And that's what Advent is really all about. It's waiting, waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the coming of Christ. In the New Testament, um, we hear that they're, um, they're called mockers. They say, where's the promise of his coming? Because forever they've talked about his coming, and it hasn't happened yet. And I think in many ways, people have, have grown 
kind of weary of the Christian message. They've grown weary of religion. They've grown weary of church um, to the point that they might say, well, where, when's anything going to change? Uh, even as they look at the, the vessel of Christianity, the church, they say, well, the church, it doesn't seem to get better. It seems to have more problems and it seems to be less and less what we would turn to as the answer to our problems. So there is this waiting. Sometimes it is faithful waiting, but many times it's, it's doubtful waiting. It's dismissive waiting, saying, I don't think this is true anymore. I don't, I don't think this really matters anymore. They used to believe this sort of thing, but we don't anymore. It's anachronistic. It belongs to another time, another place, and it's sewn through with some things that our sensibilities now tell us aren't even the right things. And, and when people are, are, are really honest, they will say, I don't think they're Jesus things either. I think I'm okay with Jesus. So we kind of hold on to that. We are called, if we're to be people of peace, people who know the peace of God, we're called to a certain patience. We're called to hold on. We're called to continue to believe. And it's it's the patient faithfulness that will bring us our peace um, it might be hard for some of us to get through this pandemic it, it is for many people it it has brought turmoil it has brought death it it brings worry it brings anxiety um, and for some people they're not sure they are able to hold on they're not sure that they have enough patience for all of this and, and there, the sense of patience is not just waiting. It's, it's actually enduring. It's being able, being able to hope through and wait until something happens. And so what we, we need to support our patience is our faith. And if, if you've not really considered faith as being operative in your life, I encourage you to, to ask the hard questions. Maybe that's one thing that this time of struggle will bring to us, the opportunity to ask the hard questions. Why, who, when, um, what does life mean? What, what is it all about? And I think there is where I find something in, in Nee's distinction between the spirit and the soul. You see, I think in the spirit, we know there is intuition, whereas we know in the soul there is intellect. Uh, sometimes I, I live in my intellect. I live in my head. I know I do. Some of you live in your head, right? You live in thoughts and ideas and those sorts of things. For me, it's important to submit my intellect to my intuition and that's where faith goes to work faith doesn't just examine facts or knowledge um, or science or medicine faith allows us to 
to make sure that we start in our spirit with what we know, not because we can prove it or touch it or taste it or feel it, but we know it in our spirit. And then when we kind of turn around and look backwards, we can say, well, that's what the Bible is describing when it talks about Jesus being the light, bringing light to everyone as they come into this world. There's something in our spirit that knows God, knows about God, knows what God is like, knows about his nature, his, his characteristics. And when we allow that to dominate the whole being that we are, we allow the intellect to be properly informed. We allow every area of intellect to be informed. And, and we're not afraid of any, any area of intellect. There's no science that we're afraid of. There's no science that we're worried will disprove God. Because before we even open up the books and read the studies, we have a witness in our spirit that says this is true. It, it's, it's not something that is tangible, but it's something that we know. And, and when we practice this idea of allowing the spirit to be in control of the soul, we, we practice the kind of living that will lead to peace. Because I think that contributes to the patience that we need to get through life, to get through a pandemic, to get through trials, to get through tragedies. Um, getting through things... Uh, is not the task of the intellect. It is the task of the intellect to find solutions in the meantime. Um, but when medicine and science has brought a solution, um, a vaccine to the pandemic, the questions are still there. The big questions about life. And we would do well, I think, then to go back to Simeon and say, how did, how did it go for you? How did, how did life make sense for you? And Simeon might remind us that faith operated in his life to make patience real for him so that through his whole life he could wait for what God promised him and believe in what God promised him. And I ask you, if, if you've not been thinking that faith is necessary, to just travel for a bit into your spirit and ask, what do you know? What is already in your spirit that, that you are not able to shake? That's the answer to whether there's a God or not, where we came from, where we're going, and, and all of those things. And I submit to you that Simeon would be a great example for us all at Advent and at Christmas when we find ourselves finally holding a baby that is the Messiah and saying, there it is, there's peace. What I've been waiting for, what I have believed in, I know now. I, I know both in my intuition and in my intellect. I know now, not just because I've waited faithfully, but because now I've seen that the Messiah has been sent. And what that means is that 
the nations will be enlightened and Israel will be brought the glory that she has been promised by God for all these years. The, the Bible's a beautiful story of how God is faithful to his people. He's faithful to Israel and he's faithful to the church. We're called the new Israel, interestingly. We join together with that great hope and we join together over a long, long time of waiting. Thousands, thousands, thousands of years. And yet God is the Lord of the house. He's in charge. Nothing is taking him by surprise. Nothing is thwarting his purposes. And into all of that, Simeon says, Nuk Dimitis. Now you can release your servant in peace. May we know God's peace, true intuitive peace, true peace that allows us to sort through the matters of intellect, the matters of knowledge, uh, true peace that is characterized by faith.